welcome back to the Villa Filler podcast. I'm here this week with my good friend Dan Wiseman. How are you doing, Dan? Very excited about this one, Dan. Very excited indeed. Excited into the word because we've got a very special guest for the first time on the Villa Filler podcast. We're here joined with Ian Taylor. How are you doing, Ian? I'm all right, thanks, lads. I'm all right. Considering. Yeah, considering. <laughs> obviously, there's, there's a lot of things going on right now, um, which leads us perfectly, I guess, into our first question. Obviously, with the, the current situation, the current climate with, with coronavirus, how do you think you would have dealt with this as a player if this had have happened when, when you were playing? I'd have been beside myself, to be honest. <laughs> I, I, don't, I think um, every player at this moment in time wants to be out on the pitch. They want to be out on the training pitch. And um, I think first and foremost, they want to be in the dressing room with the teammates. Um, yeah. You'd be missing the, missing the banter in the dressing room day in, day out that you'd usually get. Um, but like I said, just to be out on the field and, and out playing and training and stuff, that's, that's probably the biggest miss. Definitely. And how has it affected your day-to-day life so far as well? Obviously, you run uh, a few businesses. Yeah. Uh, how, how has that kind of affected it? Well, to be fair, yeah, my, my headphone business is still, it's still ticking over. Obviously, you've both got earphones in there. And yeah. There's going to be people at home wanting to uh, use head, headphones and stuff. So, you know, that's been ticking over okay. But um, as far as um, Global Football Pro is concerned, you know, I, I bring academies from all over the world to the UK. So that's just ground to a halt at the minute because people aren't travelling. So, um, yeah, that's been a bit of a killer as far as that's concerned. And, um, you know, at the minute we're just keeping in touch with people and, and trying to... Uh, I mean, one thing I do know is when the floodgates do open and people can get back on the football pitch and, and whatnot, then it's just going to, all hell's going to break loose. <laughs> so, so one thing you do know is it will come back at some point. Yeah, I think, so one of the things which I was inter- interested uh, to ask in terms of um, how people see the season coming back and everything like that is, is, did you ever experience playing football behind closed doors or, or anything similar to that? It must be quite an eerie experience as a player. Um. No, I don't. No, I've never played behind closed doors. Um, I think the only the closest thing was probably playing at West Brom. <laughs> 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 um, when we had to use West Brom for a while because we couldn't use Villa Park. But um, yeah, the, I think there was quite a few fans who didn't actually want to go to West Brom and watch us. So um, that, that, was, <laughs> yeah, that was the nearest thing. But no, I've, I've never experienced that. Um, not that I can remember anyway. So, and my memory's not that great, so. <laughs> so, obviously, the fans are so important to this, this side of football, and obviously you're a Villa fan yourself. Um, so, before we start talking about your playing career and everything that you've done with the club since you retired, yeah. um, what was your first experience as a fan? Like, what, was, what were your first memories of going down to Villa Park, the first games that you went to? Cool. Um, I, I know I used to go in because I didn't, I didn't have the money to pay to go in. So I used to go in sort of the last half an hour, last 20 minutes when, you, when they opened the gates and you could watch oh, the last 20 minutes yeah. for free. Um, but my first memory, probably the Barcelona game was probably one of the biggest games that I went to wow. uh, in, in the Super Cup mm-hmm. uh, yeah. when I was a kid. Um, because I do, I, that stands out because of the atmosphere of that night. And it was just, I mean, you guys are probably too young to remember that, but um, it was just an unbelievable night for us to beat the great Barcelona at Villa Park. 
in the in the Super Cup were just unreal. And the, the thing that stands out was the atmosphere because it was just so deafening. Um, and it's one of the games that I'll remember till my dying day. It's surely going to be like that when football returns to Villa Park as well, isn't it? Ian? <laughs> well, that's, I think, yeah, I think there's going to be so much frustration that's let out when yeah. people get back to watching football. It's, uh, I, yeah, I'm just so looking forward to you know people getting back and, and watching it again. It's just going to be something else, I think. Definitely. And whilst we've, we've talked about your standout moment, sort of as a fan, what would you say was your standout moment if you could pick one of your your playing career? There's been a few, to be honest, but um, you know, I get asked this question a lot and yeah. um, people are surprised when I say um, it was my first my first game at Villa Park um, mm. where we beat Chelsea 3-0. This, um, my, uh, my debut was actually against Arsenal at um, Highbury. Um, I think it was, around, it was around New Year and we drew 0-0 um, in that lovely black, red and green kit. <laughs> oh, I like that. Personal favourite. Personal favourite. Um, yeah, that was the first Villa kit I ever wore. So, um, yeah, that sort of brings memories back. But, um, yeah, it was, it was the first home game at Villa Park against Chelsea and I managed to get on the score sheet and um, and score in front of the Holt end. And that was just, you know, a, 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 an amazing dream come true. So, um yeah, people, a lot of people think it was the, the cup final goal and, and, and that game, but my first game at Villa Park to score in front of the whole 10 was just something else. Amazing, yeah. So a, a lot of players, I think, when it, when it comes to returning to their boyhood clubs and, and playing for them, sort of describe this decision as something of a no-brainer. Is, is, mm. the is it really that simple? So, so obviously, when you, were you at Sheffield Wednesday, I believe, when yeah. before your Villa, uh, Villa career. Is it that much of a simple process for a player as soon as the, the transfer bid comes in and you, you hear of it, is it that kind of instant decision that it's what you want to do? It was for me. Um, and to be honest, at Sheffield Wednesday, I, was, I wasn't I was having a great time because I was being played out of position and, um, you know, I wasn't being able to, I wasn't able to give the team my all um, from the position where I was playing. So um, when I heard that Villa, to be honest, Brian Little had tried to buy me before, before I went to Sheffield Wednesday. And um, when he was at Leicester, and I, and I turned him down, and I went to Sheffield Wednesday. But um, you know, I, he, I must have still been in his thoughts, and he, he saw that I wasn't um, being played in the right position at Sheffield Wednesday, and, and he came in for me when he he came to Villa. So, um, like I say, it was it was a chance to to come back to Birmingham and uh, and play for my boyhood club, and it, it definitely was a no brainer. So, um, you know, I know Brian wanted to play me in my right position and um, I was his first signing um, when he came to Villa. So it was, uh, yeah, it was great to, it was great to join the team at that point. Uh, something that we, uh, you know, upon doing our research, and it's certainly something that appears a lot in, in videos that get reshared on Twitter and stuff like that, is that UEFA Cup night against Atletico Madrid. Uh, now, obviously, for, for me and Dan watching the Villa, we've only really experienced the heartbreak of Moscow uh, in terms of <laughs> European football. But how was it? Don't get me started at Moscow. <laughs> <laughs> we won't go into Moscow. Uh, but oh, please. Can you talk us through your feelings against <laughs> Atletico Madrid. Um, well, yeah, it's an incredible night. I think, um, again, the atmosphere was just unbelievable. Um, and when when Stan stuck that shot in the top, into the top corner, I've never 
known a noise like it. Um, and it was a great goal as well. Mm. But, um, you know, to be playing on in, you know, in European nights like that against the likes of Atletico Madrid, um, it's what it's what you want to play football for. And it's what we were playing football for. We we knew we were a good team and we could, um, you know, we could we could be up there with the best in Europe at that time. And and we gave a good fist of it. You know, we didn't get through, but um, it was an incredible night. And it's an it's a night that fans remember. And and that's what you want to do as a footballer is uh, is give fans nights to and days to remember because you're not you know I'm not going to sit here and say that Villa should be winning league championships and and this that and the other but to give fans nights and days to remember um, that's that's the aim, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, it, there's there's always that feel, isn't there? You know, uh, uh, certainly football under the floodlights, more at Villa Park in recent years. There's just a completely different feel to it. Um, which again, hopefully, when when the football resumes, we can get an atmosphere like that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of, um, I think certainly in the last few years, a lot of things that can be said with, with certain players that have come in is is that there is, there is an expectancy of Villa Park. Is, is you talk about Villa having such a proud history, and we are a club. Uh, certainly amongst the fans, we feel we have a right to be competing in the division that we are now. Did you ever feel? That kind of the weight of expectancy that some players have, have sort of you, you've seen struggle to cope with in years gone by. Did you ever feel that as a player, especially as a fan? I suppose. Um, no, not I, I wouldn't say no, not really. I think um, the teams that I played in at, at Villa, we always had some strong characters in the team and um, and quite a few leaders in the team as well. So um, we always had a strong backbone and and. The, the players who couldn't sort of um, you know put themselves up there like some of the rest of us you, we kind of dragged them through it and um, you know there, there obviously were difficult times but you know you had to stand up and be counted and and just puff your chest out and, and wear the badge with pride and just think uh, I could, you know I, I don't think um, I was one of those ones who, who thought you can't go out there and play well every single game but you can give 100%. And I think the fan, fans understand that as well. And I think they understand that you can't go out there and play well every single game. But as long as you're giving 100%, then I think fans will, uh, fans will always be behind you. Do you think there's enough of that in the modern game? Not necessarily with Villa, just in general. So I feel like there's always one or two players at, at each club who you possibly look at and think, oh, I think there's definitely more to see from them. It's just a matter of, I guess, trying to get it out of them, get them motivated enough. Yeah, I think I think the mentality is a little bit different these days. I think um, mental strength isn't as isn't what it was back in the day. Um, well, yeah, back in whatever day it was. But yeah, uh, yeah I just think mentally players were a lot lot stronger, um, and you had to put up with a lot more to to get out there and play. Um, yeah. I think it's a lot easier now for players to to play the game, but um, yeah, you had to be mentally strong, mate, and you had to you had to be able to take whatever fans of, fans gave you home home and away. Do you know what I mean? So it's it was much tougher then. Fans can't get away with things that they used to no, now. No, very true. Back back then, so you know you you had to you had to take it. Was there ever an encounter you had with maybe a Villa fan or, or an opposition fan that kind of stands out? Maybe something a bit like uh, Micah Richard's desk at Wickham. 
<laughs> oh, nothing like that. Nothing like that. I think, um, you know, obviously me being a black player, I think there were obviously some, you know, some things that were shouted and said um, from fans, especially away from home, that you you could hear. But you just had to, in, in that day, you just had to block it out and, and get on with your game. Um, yeah. You couldn't go to the... To press to the press and say somebody shouted this or somebody shouted that. You just had to get on with it, and um, and that was part and parcel of uh, of playing football in that day. So, you know, you just took it, I took it on the chin and got got on with it. The best thing to do was to stick the ball in the back of the net and uh, and shut the mouth doing that. So, yeah, nicely done, nicely done. Uh, so, so you had um, a really good relationship with uh, the Villa fans, and one of the things which I was excited to learn it was actually when I was speaking to a couple of family members about your career and everything like that. Is um, a number of Villa fans actually attended your last game before retirement yeah. against against Huddersfield? That must have been what was that like? Do you know that it was so weird? Um, there's been a few things like that, but um, yeah, I, I, there just seemed to be a, a lot more fans than usual. <laughs> At, uh, at my last game at North, Northampton and um, a few mates had said that they were going to come down and, and, and support me and stuff but then when uh, we'd planned to, for me to get substituted in the last, I don't know, the last 10 minutes, in the 80th minute or something like that and for me to come off and get a, a standing ovation and and when I came off, the whole ground started singing There's Only One Ian Taylor and and, and I noticed there were a load of Villa fans in the, yeah. <laughs> in the ground as well. And it, no, it was brilliant, mate. It was really, really, really nice. And um, that people had travelled that way to sort of... Because I didn't really... I didn't get the send-off that I, I wanted at um, at Villa when I left because my last game was a, a, an away game as well. Mm-hmm. So um, a, a lot of fans thought, you know, we'll go and give him a, a nice send-off when he, when, when he retires. So, um, yeah, that was really, really nice. And... Uh, I thank those fans to this day for uh, for coming down and supporting me. Yeah, that that must have been. So, what what was your like when when you decided it was time to leave the villa? How how did that come about? What was your thought processes involved? It must have been quite an emotional one for you. Yeah, for one, it wasn't my choice. So, um, you know, I'd come to the end of my contract, and I was I was thirty three. So, um, yeah, I was getting on a bit. The legs were starting to go, and. Um, yeah. I think uh, Graham Taylor was in charge at the time. And um, it was one of those. And to be honest, when I was fit, I played. But the injuries had started to catch up on me. And, um, yeah, it was it was tough trying to keep fit every week and, and play and, and at that level. So, um, but to be fair to Graham Taylor, when I was fit, he, he played me. So, um but it was one of those where I was I was getting on a bit and I was getting the injuries and uh, coming to the end of my contract. And it was one of those where he said, "Look, we're not going to renew your contract, uh, and you can go on a free transfer." So, um, but you know, I was lucky enough to to get offered a, a deal by Derby, who were just up the road as well, because I didn't want to move house or anything. So um, it was great that Derby came in, and. Um, and to be honest, what I did was I worked a lot more on my fitness and, and staying fit, and and it worked. I played I played a, a a real big part in them staying up uh, that that year in the championship as well. So score I was top scorer as well, which was what <laughs> um, you love to see. Nice touch, nice yeah, touch. Yeah, it was nice. It was it was good to, that I could still bang in a few goals at at that level at, and at that age. 
Um, so, and then and the following year, we got into the playoffs as well, which was great. So, um, yeah, it was it was nice to have a big hand in in what Derby wanted me to do. So, yeah, it was great. And funny, funny enough, my first friendly game for Derby was against Villa. No way. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, at Pride <laughs> Park, which was strange as well. And I, and I only scored the winning goal in the bloody friendly as well, didn't I? So, <laughs> of course, against, it's always the way. It's Villa, always I know. But, you know, that was another strange one because I had both set of fans singing my name, which was just unreal. And, uh, you know, again, you know, I, I, I raised my raised my hand to the Villa fans that night who were singing my name, even though I scored the winner against us. So it was um, it was a crazy night, crazy night. You spent a lot of time at Villa, obviously. It was just shy of 10 years, though, so it wasn't quite in the, the testimonial category. Yeah. Uh, would you have liked a testimonial? <laughs> I feel like uh, is, is it too late to get a testimonial on the go now? As yeah, that's, there we go. We'll the Ian Taylor testimonial. I'd love to have had a testimonial, right? But um, it was it was one of those. It was just timing, and I suppose because um, Alan Wright was the same. Alan Wright, yeah. was, um, yeah. we'd been there virtually the same amount of time, and um, I think. Uh, I think Wrighty left the same time as me as well. But, um, yeah, it was a shame because he was a good servant to the club as well. And, um, you know, he's a great, great player for the club as well. And, um, yeah. yeah, it's a shame that he couldn't have the send-off that he deserved as well. But, um, yeah, it's one of those things. It happens in football and, um, yeah, just shy of the 10 years. But it's the way it goes. We've got to make this happen when we come back. Taylor versus Wright is the, the testimonial at Villa Park. We might have missed that boat, mate, I think. <laughs> I think people would go. <laughs> um, so as, as we've just kind of touched on with, you, with your time at Derby County as well, uh, how, how did your time uh, more as a professional differ between uh, the two clubs? Because obviously, as you, you kind of touched on, you were in your, your latter stages of career. You were focusing more on the fitness. What was it like as a professional leaving uh, obviously Aston Villa, who are obviously in the Premier League, and you had a bit of a different time at Derby County being in a different division. Well, yeah, firstly, it was, it was devastating having to leave Villa. Um, but, um, yeah, I still felt that I could still do a job for somebody. And like I said, it was good that a, a club is um, not, as, not just close to home as Derby, but a big club. Because Derby, Derby is a big club, so um, yeah. it was nice to, to go there. But it, the, I think the biggest thing going to Derby was that I was I was brought in because they remember the, you know the likes of Ravenelli and people like that who had been at Derby they'd all left, and I was brought in to kind of steady the ship with a, a lot of younger players. So um, it was nice to I was made captain straight away as well, and it was nice to be the older statesman who could go in there and 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 use my experience to help the younger play, younger players as well so um yeah that that was a nice part about it really is that they they looked at someone like myself to um to use my experience to to help the the, the club really so you you spoke out there about how um you you know you enjoyed passing on your experience and you have such a love for the game and going into kind of global football pro your current business and everything like that you've played under some managers like Brian Little Grant Taylor who's obviously sort of gone down in Villa folklore did a career in coaching ever interest you or did did you ever look into that? Do you know 
no, <laughs> not not really. Because I, I always thought um, it's 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 always been seen as you know mates looking after mates in coaching, and you know these. I'm being brutally honest here that um, a lot of guys get coaching roles because their mates the manager or the mates another coach, and I never really. I'm, sometimes in football, it doesn't matter how good a coach you are. Um, if you if you make the manager gets the sack, you get the sack. Mm-hmm. So I never wanted to be in that p- kind of position. I always wanted to be my own boss, yep. so uh, and do my own thing and and be in control of my own destiny. So I'd, I'd always kind of wanted to work in and around football, um, but not actually in it. If you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, doing what I'm na- doing now with academies and everything, it's 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 something that I can control and something that I can I, I can lead. So I've never really wanted to get into coaching for that reason, really. How did Global Footy Pro come about then? Um, did did someone approach you? Was, was, yeah. was this uh, sort of on your mind during the the latter years of your career, or was it something that just kind of happened? Mm-hmm. To to be honest. When I when I um, in the latter part of my career, I got approached by a football agent, and um, he wanted me to join him to sort of recruit younger players, so um, and and be a mentor to younger players. And I quite like the I like the thought of that um, until um, you know I started those younger players started to get a little bit older that I was looking after and started having you know, a few other thoughts about things and then things would happen with football clubs that I didn't like. And, uh, yeah, it, was, it, it just turned into a bit of a darker, murkier world than I, I, I wanted it to be. Um, and that's when, I, that's when I got approached by um, a couple of guys who I'm still working with now who uh, had the idea of bringing academies from all over the world to experience playing against academies in the UK. And I, I quite like the sound of that. And um, so I, I joined up with them and we've been doing it ever since. So and, uh, I, I, and I love it because I love traveling and uh, I love um, I love putting the whole thing together and using my contacts in the game to to uh, put these things together. So, um, yeah, it's something I really, really enjoy. It doesn't feel like work either. So it's great. No, really. <laughs> And so the other business venture I was interested is not quite um, Dion Dublin's Jube and the fact that he's brought out an entirely new musical instrument, but the the um, IT7 and the old audio and the earphones, that's that's how really interesting. Not many footballers sort of, um, as they go into their, obviously, post-playing careers, completely change genre and field. That's, I just wanted to ask how that came about. Is that completely your brainchild as a solo uh-huh. venture? No, not, not my brainchild at all. Um, to be fair, the call before this was with... Um, a guy called Simon Hassel, who's the uh, he's the CEO of a company called Blue Chip World, and um, and they manufacture and distribute electrical products and and whatnot. So, uh, and he's a massive Villa fan. Oh, perfect! <laughs> so, I mean, so, how do you things work out? Yeah, I know, and that and that's the that's the connection really. Is that he's a Villa fan. It, I was one of his idols, and uh, and he wanted to get me involved in creating a new brand of headphones. But um, it all came about when, um, quite a few years back, when the club went to uh, Hong Kong and played in the Asia Trophy. Mm-hmm. And we were playing against Chelsea, Blackburn, and a team from Hong Kong. 
and and I went over with the club to to sort of do a, you know, some marketing stuff and, and whatnot as an ambassador. And um, and Simon was there on a on a business trip. He, he saw he kind of planned his business trip with with watching Twitter as well. <laughs> but um, we just we were in a bar after one of the games one night, and he approached me, and we just got talking. And um, he t- just told me he had an idea of launching a new brand and and, and wanting me to get involved. And, and that was it, really. And we talked, spoke about it when we got back and um, had a few trips out to, to Hong Kong and, and to China and chose some headphones. And, and that's where it all come from. Oh, nice. I guess it's nice to have a, a bit of regularity, you know, like a structure to your day when you retire, because I'd imagine at first it must be great but then you must get bored of, of doing nothing essentially you know just kind of playing golf or whatever <laughs> but I, i'll be honest and say i wasn't lucky enough like some players would be now to uh, be able to live off what i earned back yeah. in the day so you know i had to do something after i finished and um i think i've been lucky that i've i've fallen into a couple of things that I've, i enjoy doing i think um you know to be honest with you a lot of it is something that I have thought about a lot uh, about players finishing the game and what they do after finishing the game. Um, and I think people have got to understand that, you know, it's not just players like myself who finish at 37. Uh, there's players who finish in the mid-20s as well, you know, for, for one reason or another. And, um, and they've got nothing to fall back on. They've got no qualifications. They've got none of that stuff. And, you know, what do they do? So... Yeah. Um, it's something that I've been I've been looking at for a while, but I've not kind of managed to, you know, work something out and try and build something that can help players when they when they do finish. So, but it is something that I do want to get into and do uh, do a lot more um, regarding that. Oh, perfect. Um, so, just sort of bringing it back to a football yeah. note. Obviously, we're all itching to see the football come back. Um, obviously, only when it's safe and everything like that. We're starting to see a lot of leagues in Europe um, announce how they see the season ending. Um, the Premier League, obviously, a, a decision seems to be pending, given that the Bundesliga, I think Liga 1, have, have uh, announced today that they're going to finalise the league as it was. Promotion, mm-hmm. relegation will be decided. Um, in a dream world, um, perhaps taking your Villa, Villa hat off for this one, how do you see this season? It's such a um, obviously a bit of an unknown at the moment. How do you see the se- uh, the season unfolding from your perspective? God, you know, right now I'd probably because of what the other leagues are doing, and you've got the whole sort of Champions League thing as well. I'm not I'm not sure what's going to happen with that because some of the leagues are finishing. So, me personally, I'd just. I just give the lead to Liverpool, and yeah. uh, but and you know in a perfect world you'd want to keep the rest of the league the same, and so we stay up. But um, I, I suppose a lot of people would be calling it a bias towards myself. Well, from myself, but I think with the whole the way the whole thing's unfolding, I think you've just got to call the league a day. I think personally yeah and i know that everybody wants to wants the league to be completed and but um this is something that you you just couldn't see coming so it's it's such a difficult one and for those who've got to make the decisions um i think they might be forced into a decision from because of what what's happening in the rest of europe to be honest so um 
it's it's so difficult, but I know everybody wants to get back to watching football, but I just think, look, call it a day, try and aim for, you know, September, August, September, and see what's happening then, and um, and start again. I think it's especially as um, it's something which has affected the club um, quite greatly. Pepe Reina obviously talked about how, how badly he struggled with it. Yeah. We had um, Alex Butler, the masseuse, I believe, was in intensive care. Uh, Gabby came out uh, and said that he's had a problem. And so when you're starting to see it on such a um, close scale, because it's affected the club, obviously, we played uh, Leicester just a few days before they, they came out and said that a few of their players had been tested mm-hmm. for it. Um, it seems crazy that you, you've got um, leagues like Spain who are saying that they're proposing a return to football whereby at half-time they come out and di- disinfect the pitch and the players have to wear masks. It, it, it seems the only logical solution to me as well, I suppose. Is to if just... only they'd have stopped the league before the Leicester game, that would have been nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> true. Very I, think, true I think you've just got to follow the, the government's lead, really, I think, and, and with what's going on in the rest of the country. I think um, because this is just something that's never ever happened before, it's just it's so tough to to decide what to do. And um, I, I just think you've got to follow the government's lead and and, and take it from there. Really, there's, there's people's lives at stake, and you just can't underestimate that. So I think um, you know, sport it's got to come secondary, really. Unfortunately, it is. I think it it may get to a point where if the football does restart and it's, it's sad to say it but I think it will take you know a, a, someone's life to for the Premier League to take it seriously which is a shame really oh, I agree yeah I, I, I do think it's taken far too long to make the decision so um, but now you know the, the, I think it is coming to a head so we'll be finding out in the next few weeks I'm sure definitely <laughs> uh, and finally we thought just to wrap it up we'd, we'd bring it back to how, how Villa have done this season uh, and we'd go through our Player of the Season awards, things like that. So, obviously, we'll start, first of all, with who you think the best player was. I think there's a, there's a pretty obvious uh, candidate for that, for that uh, spot. Let me think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's got to be Jack. Yeah. It's got to be Jack. And uh, who, who would you say is the most improved? I'd say there's a few that could possibly fit in that category. I think if you're looking at uh, Oya Newland. Um, and then maybe a few of the the younger players who's, who's played a, a, a large part, maybe Courtney Horse or Ezri Conter. Cool. Um, most improved. Blimey. It's a tough one, isn't it, when we, when our squad has such an overhaul? But I think the ones that don't, I think Oyan, especially, I think those those cup games against Leicester. Yeah. Um, demonstrated. Yeah, because. Because I th- yeah, because he got a, he got quite a lot of stick when he first co- came into the into the team, and um, you, know, I, you know, myself included, I was thinking, wow, where have we got this guy from? But you know, I think like I was talking earlier about uh, mental strength, he's shown it in abundance. I think um, to come into big games and play well as well. Yep, definitely. But he'd not been playing regularly. I think, and, and in crucial games as well. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, why not? Yeah. Who would you, what would you say was your goal of the season then? Because we've, we've scored a few worldies this season. Just a few. <laughs> <laughs> Blimey, you're going to have to remind me. So I think... Um, Douglas Louise seems to be having this competition by himself, but then there's, uh, there's the Bournemouth game and then the Norwich game he scored from outside the box. Um 
uh, if I'm thinking off the top of my head, Jack Grealish's goal against Manchester United, that was yeah, phenomenal. That was um, his one uh, against Southampton. His one against Southampton goes under the radar. I think at, at Villa Park, um, yeah. where he hit the vol- uh, the half volley. Um, I don't think cause, yeah, that game wasn't the best performance, but it, the uh, goal against Burnley as well. Yeah, I think I think yeah I think Jack's against Man United when you know any any goal like that against Man United on the on because when you play against Man United it's on the world stage so yeah. and, and every everybody around the world sees it so I think um, that unless you can remind me of some other better ones then I think that's got to be right up there, I think. Uh, I think I'd agree. Tyrone's maybe yeah. against Watford, or, or was it? It was concerts, weren't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> I can't believe they took that off him. To be honest, <laughs> I know outrageous, isn't it? It's good, wasn't it? <laughs> I mean, what, what a goal that was, though. Um, it's kind of touching on on the current squad as well. Uh, a question that uh, one of our writers proposed. Obviously, we signed Ali Samata. Uh, in January and I mean what a player he's turned out to be I still think there's, there's a lot more to come there's a lot more to come yeah um, and obviously in January New Year's Day just as Wesley seems to be hitting his form uh, you know goes and, and tears his cruciate ligament or uh, broke his leg uh, horrible injury how would you when football obviously is safe to re- restart how would you uh, accommodate Wesley and Samata would you would you play a two or if you would play a one who would you um, prefer to lead the 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 thing is, you, if you play a two, you're gonna there's gonna be somebody else in the team that's gonna gonna yeah. make play. So, you know, one of your midfielders is gonna have to go. Um, it's a tough one. It is a tough one. Um, me personally, I'd probably prefer Samata yeah. um, playing up there. Um, he's shown some really good glimpses, mm-hmm. um, but it's a shame that. You know, because of what's happened, we've we've not seen the best of him yet. Um, but it, it's it's all about how how the manager wants to play, really, what formation he wants to play. Because um, I'm I'm not sure whether he, he is a manager who wants to play two up front. Um, I like the system that he plays. Um, if you've got the right players to play it, because I played in that. You know, although you know when I played. Under Brian Little, we played. We did play with two strikers, even though we played three at the back. And I think it's a it's a great system um, with wing backs. But um, I think, you know, as long as we've got Jack, I think I think you have to build a team around him. Yeah, you know what I mean. And play and play Jack in the position where he's going to affect teams the most. Um, I I always think Jack he should be a number ten personally. Um, because I think he's involved in the game all the time. And I think, you know, when you've got a player like Jack in your team, you have to have him in, involved in the game all the time. Because he gets frustrated. When he's playing wide, he gets frustrated and comes inside and yeah. try and searches for the ball, comes too deep and searches for the ball. And and um, I do think play him in a number 10 role and um, he, can, he can be at his most effective. We've Definitely. got to get him that England yeah. call-up, haven't we? We've got to get him that England call-up. Put, put him in the middle. Let him get on the ball. Show Gareth his... Do you know, I, I think he would have got it. I, th- I think he would have got the England call-up if, if, you know, this coronavirus thing didn't happen. Um, he was only going in one direction, wasn't he? So, yeah. 
Uh, I think he would have got the call up, but we'll never know now, will we? <laughs> I, I think the remarkable thing about Jack is that even when he was playing on the wing, he was still getting the goals and the assists, which I guess is just more a testament of, of how good he is in his ability, because I think uh, most people would agree with you, Ian, the 40-odd thousand that sit around Villa Park would definitely prefer to see him in the middle, but I guess it's hard to argue with the goals and the assists, isn't it? Well, exactly, and um, I just think I think it was tough for the manager because he, he there was there were other players that he was trying to get into the team. I think you know missing John McGinn was massive for us. I think because he's such a good player and uh, and and gives us so much more in the middle of the park as well. Um, he's just trying to put all the right um, right pieces in the jigsaw, isn't it? Really, I think sometimes I think the manager might have been over blessed with players in in particular positions so uh, it was about fitting those players in really but um, but for me like I said if if I had you know Jack Grealish I'd, I'd put him on the I'd put him on the pitch first and then fit, fit everything else in around him <laughs> you're not alone not alone there how would you how would you see yourself possibly fitting in this team obviously the game's changed a little bit where would you say Ian Taylor fits into this current Aston Villa team Blimey. Um, you can drop whoever you want, apart from Jack, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Depends who he plays in midfield. I'd have loved to have played with John McGinn. Yeah. I'd have loved to have played with John McGinn. Um, but then, you know, we'd probably need a holding midfielder in behind us. So, um, and then, you know, Jack Grealish then gets put somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 that's a, and that's what happens. So, it's about... It's, yeah, you need different players to play in different systems. So, yeah. you know, for instance, you couldn't, you could not play me, John McGinn, and Jack Grealish in the same, in the same three-man midfield because I don't think that would work. So, yeah. Um, oh, we can just say you're not a manager. <laughs> <laughs> it's these decisions that they're, they're cut. We've got to make them forward with nobody sitting. So, yeah. <laughs> just that, win every game four-three. Happy days. <laughs> Uh, well, Ian, thanks for coming on. It's been uh, a pleasure chatting with you. Uh, we, we really do appreciate it. Um, obviously, you must get these kind of requests all the time, so it's been great to have you on the podcast and, uh, and hopefully try and give you a bit of a different interview to, to what you've usually been asked. <laughs> no, it's the same as all the rest, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Down Here go, restart. <laughs> <laughs> no, thanks a lot, guys. Really thanks appreciate it. Thanks, mate. Thanks, guys. Staying safe. And you. Hopefully, we'll, uh, hopefully we can we can be back when it's safe and uh, and, and and enjoy Villa Park again because I am missing it. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Cheers, Ian. Really thanks, appreciate it. Bye. So there we have it. I'd like to say thank you once again uh, to Ian Tyler for for hopping on the Villa Villa podcast. Our first guest, Dan. How do you think it went? It's great. Yeah, that was, that was really, it would have been even nicer to do it in person, wouldn't it? Under different, yeah. different circumstances, a man of that stature definitely deserves it. But no, it's, it's nice. Hopefully, it keeps um, everyone listening. Um, something new to listen to it saves them listening to our same monotone voices every week, doesn't it? So it's <laughs> something new for the for the listeners, I suppose. Definitely, and hopefully, you know, as, as we've kind of touched on before, we're still actively looking at getting guests, and we really appreciate Ian coming on. Uh, so hopefully we can we can get some more people to follow up. So uh, it has been a while since the last podcast. I think me and Dan have both been a bit busy, despite given <laughs> given everything that's going on. There's really nothing to do, but there's also a lot to do. Um, so you'll have to forgive us on that. I'm not sure when the next podcast will be out. 
Um, but hopefully we'll have one following up soon. If you just check out our socials, uh, we'll be sure to keep you updated. Sounds good to me. Thank you, guys. So if you enjoyed this podcast, uh, hit the like button and comment your thoughts below. Also, subscribe for more content. Uh, if you're enjoying the Villa for the podcast, you'll be listening to this on Spotify, YouTube, whatever. Let us know in the comments below. Uh, and up the Villa. The Villa. Jeff essential. The fulfilling this got potential. It's a main man, a hero. He's the main leader of the gang. Nah.